Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Alison Reed. Alison is the CEO of Community Dental Services. It is a community interest company and it is employee owned. What I really liked about this interview is that I don't share the interview questions with the guest in advance. And she was just, in my opinion, so clear in articulating the values, her culture compass, the focus for the next 18 months, the values, her leadership style. And I just thought, I aspire to be able to communicate like that. So if you think about this podcast to support your leadership development, yes, we can listen to the tips people are sharing and she shares loads. And we can also listen to the style in which they deliver it. In her day-to-day job, she's always prepping to share the vision and communicate what's going on to all levels in and outside of her organisation. So I just really like the style of delivery. So I just wanted to point that out to you. Really, really enjoyed it. And she says lots of practical tips. And my key takeaway is also, you know, like it's not what you do. It's how you say it. It's how you share it which is so, so important and so, so powerful if you want to get people on board to follow you. Enjoy and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, Alison, thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Pleasure. And uh, really well. Thank you, Tara. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I've got a bit of a cold and I got petrol today. So big day. <laughs> it's all round. Good for you. It yeah. just happens to be the middle of our roadshows across the whole of our company. Uh-huh. Imagine the, the stress of making sure everybody's all right and they can get from A to B. Yeah. Catherine Pitts has recently been on the podcast and I said to her, could you recommend any of your friends uh, to come onto the podcast? And she was like, you need to speak to Alison. Alison, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, I'm currently the Chief Exec of Community Dental Services Social Enterprise. It's a 100% employee-owned business. It focuses on supporting people with complex needs that can't access high street dentistry and are referred to us for support for their dental need and for if they've got dental phobia. 
My background is much broader than that. I'm not a dentist, which always surprises people. But uh, I have a wide healthcare background. So I've trained as a physiotherapist and worked for quite a long time within um, hospital settings across the country and then ended up in um, integrated care um, delivery. So running health and social care as an integrated trust. And that led me into uh, looking at different ways in which we can deliver services. And social enterprise was one that I was really interested in. And that's why I am here today. And I've been here for eight years. So your core business, so you're not the dentist that you would, we would go into, you know, like in the like the high street, are you? Yeah, no, that's right. We, we receive referrals from the high street dental practices for people who have got either a need for additional support because they've either got a physical or mental health concern that means it's quite difficult for them to access the care or because they are have children that have got quite a high need and our, our team have got specialist skills in treating children and adults with complex care needs. Okay so you mentioned you are employee owned what does that mean and why did you go down that route? Yeah I have a really strong view that the people that deliver the service know what needs to change to make the services better for people that they serve and so if we talk about patient facing service often as a clinician I used to get quite frustrated that I would want to make changes but there was quite a a system of decision making that sat around me that could limit that and I wanted to enable and, and and free up the workforce to feel much more able to make those decisions in the right way and employee ownership opens that up really we every single person that works in the company is an employed owner and they have a one pound share that share doesn't grow in value uh, because it's what we call asset locked because all of our money goes back into serving the people that we treat so uh, 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 any additional money we have um, goes into improving the services investing in the equipment investing in our people so the, the role of the employee owner in that circumstance is very much to have a voice in how services are shaped have a voice in how services are delivered and have a voice in how we go forward as a company. And so uh, we have four elected directors that sit on our board that look at to ensure that the um, approach the company takes is aligned with our uh, articles in terms of our values and our ethical approach to meet the needs of the people around us um, in the most dynamic way possible. So when you're recruiting, what are the messages that you're putting out to attract people to come to you? What is that employee owned bit? How do you communicate that? So people think, oh, that sounds like exciting. I'll come and work with you guys. Yeah, well, we're probably still on that curve of learning how to really get that message across. You know, I'd like to say, you know, if you ever felt that you'd like to be in charge of your destiny, come and work for us because we're we're part of that resolution. But of course, you know, then you're bound by a range of standard practices and uh, procedures because we have to deliver a very high, a safe and very highly regulated service. So there is a balancing act between the foundation blocks that have to be in place to have a safe and, and efficient service. But then there's freedom to innovate within boundaries. So it's a framework. So when we're advertising, it's very much to say, you know, if you ever wanted to have more of a voice in how you could do run your services or how you want to see your service, your opportunities develop, if you want to see a variety in the way that you do things, 
then we try and attract people on that basis to say, you know, you you can have a say. We are very much supporting local responsibility and local ownership through our high trust environment. And we tend to share our culture. We've got a culture compass, which describes the journey we're on to try and eradicate preventable tooth decay and how together we're aiming to do that through working both through the one-to-one relationship with our patients, the one-to-community relationship with our workforce, and uh, embracing that real community ethos of together we can make big change. And uh, I think that's quite motivating for people to feel that they are making a difference. We've got incredible stories of that happening every day. You know, I, I even spoke to somebody yesterday, uh, a dental nurse who had had such a horrific year where she'd lost so many of her close relations and yet she'd gone through additional training so she could do sedation services so that she can then offer a bigger service for our patients so they don't have to travel so far to access care. And that's just one example that I have every single day of the sort of extra miles people take, steps people take to do great stuff. So when thinking about the integrated care system, who speaks for you? Where do you sit in this big new world? <laughs> we want new world, old world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends mm. which part of the world yeah. you where you started out. And I'm not saying it feels like deja vu to me at all. But the, as a dentistry is a really interesting paradigm. It, it sits in that community dentistry often sits within an, in, in a trust, an NHS provider. We're quite unusual in that we are a social enterprise that delivers those services. However, dentistry as, a, as an entity tends to be sitting to the side of the majority of what goes on. So one of the biggest challenges I've we've been facing is to raise the profile of a common agenda. You know, we we are only established to address health inequalities, to drive up and improve public health, and to reduce common risk factors that uh, affect long-term conditions. So uh, our our main role as, um, as a social enterprise has been to interface with our integrated care system to sort of say, These are things that we can work with you on to help you. But I think their agenda is so huge that for many of them, that's one step too far at the moment to involve us too intimately. But we have had one or two uh, successes. We do have 11 integrated care systems to engage with. So that's part of the challenge of being a specialist provider. But uh, we've got one or two where we've got a very consistent offer that aligns with their needs to address all health need to support early years to make sure that end of life care and uh, older people care is is much more whole person centered and we've got some incredible packages to support those in terms of oral health improvement it's, it's impacting on whole life health improvement can you give us some examples around the work that you're doing around children's dental services and some of the the challenges and probably quite just really sad things that you're seeing and what's leading to you know uh, children having teeth extraction at a really early age. Tara I think that's probably the one thing that shocked me most working much more directly with the dental provider was that I'd often heard the team refer to extractions and it's only when you actually go to a general anaesthetic session where a three-year-old is coming in to have all of their baby teeth removed 
because they have become too decayed to be retained, that you realise we've still got a serious problem in this country with uh, understanding how to protect our teeth for the whole of our lives. We don't get another set. They don't keep growing. You know, we only have two sets, the baby teeth and then the adult teeth, as people like to refer to them. So, so you know, we need to look after them. And we need to look after the, the milk teeth or baby teeth because they help to keep the shape of the mouths. And if they lose all of those, there's some real risks with that. But also, they are going through a lot of pain, there's discomfort and everything. And that's down to either milk, caries which is where the milk the lactose on the milk tends to go and nibble away at the um the enamel on the teeth or it could be that they're eating sugar-loaded snacks in between meals or they're having lots of dried fruit which people think is really healthy but of course it sits in the teeth and it Mm. still has an acid attack so it's just trying to re-educate people about some very simple things that uh, and we as carers or parents can do, which is supporting children to have water in between meals, only having a sugary snack after a meal, to um, uh, brush their teeth twice a day and to keep the toothpaste in and not rinse it all off their teeth at the end of the session, because the teeth, toothpaste contains the fluoride that protects the teeth. And I think we've got some real need to re-educate people about good quality toothbrushing, using the proper type, type of toothpaste, and not using mouthwashes and things to rinse away the fluoride that's so important Mm. in our um, to retain healthy teeth, as well as the plethora of sugary snacks that that sort of like are hidden in in lots of things that people think are healthy. So there's lots of children's, um, particularly toddler snacks, that are loaded with sugar that people don't know about. So our oral health team spend a lot of time in early years settings trying to raise awareness for children, encouraging them to eat lots of colourful vegetables and fruits that are more healthy. And cheese. Cheese is great. Cheese is great as a snack and um, as are crackers and carrots. You know, most children will love uh, to have a bit of a carrot. So it's just encouraging those slightly different behaviours. But I know my logo often is spit, don't rinse, you know, (laughs) just trying to get people the message, a very simple message that will help to sort of like, retain some of that fluoride in after the brushing of the teeth. I don't know if this is a silly question, but where is the health inequalities bit in there? So you've got general, you know, I've I've just learned some stuff there. <laughs> you've got your general education, but then where is in that bit, where is the health inequality? That's a bit? really good question because there's a big debate going on at the moment about whether we should de- detach the oral health issue from the deprivation issue. And um, there are arguments on both sides for this because um, many will say, actually, tooth decay is prevalent across the spectrum. So as you say, there's a lack of education and that is leading to poor practice across the population. But unfortunately, it is even worse in the most deprived areas of the country. And that's a combination of factors it's due to a lack of education and information, but also a lack of access. So that we are much more likely that those that are in more deprived uh, um, rural and coastal areas to not have a dentist, not have one at all. So they will not have gone for their checks. 
they will not know about what to look out for and they will not have had the same level of education about how to look after their teeth. So we do see higher rates of tooth decay in lots of deprived and rural areas because of the fact they don't have the good access but also because quite rightly, when you've got to work out whether you can pay for your heating or your food, toothbrushes and toothpaste might not come high on your agenda. And it might there might be lots of misunderstanding about what it, what is needed. So, you know, we are trying where we can to provide toothbrush packs to those areas so that they've got available to them free at the point of need the right tools and we give that with with some really simple you know we've got apps we've got little videos we've got different ways of communicating our message to try and help these settings we work with a lot of early years providers when we could covid has made it quite challenging to help them help others but again that reaches certain cohorts of people that have got uh, the ability to have access to work or access to those settings so we are very aware of the fact that our reach needs to be always larger always within the communities that we serve and trying to think about how we can connect with children that are least likely to be engaged in some of those activities Mm -hmm. through the schools. So you're going to need a lot of manpower to be able to do that are you experiencing any workforce challenges is it easy to recruit? You know, I was just talking to our um, HR advisor on that this morning because she said, oh my goodness, you know, your turnover level is quite low. We're at about 7.9%. And I think that is low against the national average and it's also low against the dental environment at the moment. And I think that is in part because of our employee ownership. It is also because I do believe we support people exceptionally well. And I know many other providers have worked very, very hard at this Um you know, but we have worked exceptionally hard at setting up mental health first aiders to support our teams during this very challenging period. You know, we've never, nobody has ever experienced the um, impact of a pandemic and the lockdowns. And we know how those, how hard that has been on people. So we've invested a huge amount of resource in supporting our people to feel safe, supporting our people to feel they can raise concerns. And obviously, Black Lives Matter has brought up a huge uh, extra dimension to that. So we've really been robust in looking at our equality, diversity and inclusion agenda and having uh, confidential forums to open up dialogue about how it's feeling, what things might need to be done differently. Really being very responsive to concerns in the workforce. And that, I think, has all contributed to quite low levels of turnover. But I think like everybody, recruitment has become more of a challenge. We have so far not had the significantly detrimental effect that has happened across wide sectors of dentistry. But we are aware that we are competing in a very challenged marketplace at the moment for support workers and for our dental nurse workforce who've been really stretched. You know, they they support the family. They are the the main caregivers in very many instances Mm -hmm. so we've been trying to look at how we can create more flexibility in working Um, as I said career opportunities look at career breaks if people Mm -hmm. need them we we are aware that we need to continually be learning what people need to feel that they can get the best out of their job but also feel they can get the balance right with their home life 
we supplied everybody with an iPad that didn't have access to the right resource to communicate because we wanted to be able to see people. You know, you can hear them, but if you can't see them, you don't know if they're looking like they've just, you know, often I look like I've been dragged through. (laughs) Don't we all? I'm I'm not meaning they need to come looking like they've got their their faders on and all the rest of it, but just want to make sure that... They look like they're okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, when you can't see everybody in a 3D world, that but but also that has taken off some pressure. I think the fact that we have been able to say for those that couldn't be in the clinics for various reasons, giving them a range of other things to do, so they felt that they could contribute and felt feel valued. So I'm not saying it's not a challenge, but I'm saying that so far we have managed to retain a positive recruitment. We've recruited over 100 people in the last. A year alone and you know of 340 plus interviews that we did so I think that that's a positive entity you know we do have a lot of um, time limited contracts we have a lot of people that come for training with us and we try and give them a brilliant experience so hopefully in the future if they decide that they would like to return that they know that CDS looks after them well and that they will have a great to have some fun <laughs> there is we have quite a lot of laughter in between Uh, dressing up like we're looking like we're about to go into space (laughs) so who looks after you I am so privileged to have a absolutely wonderful husband that is a house husband that looks after uh, me and my uh, 13 year old son William and uh, so we're very spoiled really because I have somebody that does the cooking the cleaning and uh the general um, housekeeping. Sometimes the menus options are a bit restricted. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning to adapt to that. And I have a wonderful sheepdog that's just behind me, flat out on the floor at the moment, um, Bella, um, who, who just keeps me sane by making sure I go out for my daily walks and get a bit of fresh air. Because I think that's a such an important part mm. of it, isn't it? So that's my home support. But I have to say, I am privileged to work in CDS. I've got an incredible company that that work very hard to look after each other. And we've got a very good support network, I think, of a senior team who are always willing to step in uh, when when you need it. So I, I couldn't be more privileged. How would you describe your leadership style? But the key thing, I think, is to have one that articulates clearly where you see the service going and listens to people around you about any concerns or opportunities they see around that so that you can shape that future for them in a way that they can connect with. I am very energetic and uh, very passionate about my topic so that (laughs) tends to sometimes come over as a little bit bouncy I would say Um, but in the main it is one that's really um, uh, having asked people recently it is uh, I do think quite quickly which can mean that sometimes people find that a little bit overwhelming so but I am authentic. I genuinely believe in what we're trying to do. I believe in people. I believe in the strength of uh, of our commitment. And I do genuinely believe that if people have got the right information, they make great choices. And we need to inform the public better. We need to give the public choice. We need to make them feel that they can make decisions that are in their own best interests. But we need to do that in an informed and conscious way that is suitable for their uh, cultural requirements, their understanding of their life 
And that means being much more empathetic. And I try to work with empathy every day because I don't think we can have enough kindness. But I can also be quite direct, you know, quite enjoy being really clear. So because I think ambiguity is probably the most frustrating thing um, to work in. So cool. And as a female CEO, do you feel like people have looked down at you? Have you been passed over opportunities or have you not felt any discrimination? You don't know. Sometimes I think it's almost like you reflect backwards and you then say, oh, it's a latent, it's a latent discrimination, isn't it? Because you're aware then of things that have happened that you didn't register at the time as that because you've become so expecting of it that you don't recognise it. And I've become much more consciously aware of it because of the conversations that take place. I would say that I am quite determined when I see opportunities that are right. And I don't think it has been overtly uh, restricting or preventing me from achieving my goals. I often felt that it was either, you know, that, but there's a caveat to that. that there's a, an assumption that you might not be the right fit or you might not right, you have, you know, perceived as being too young at some points in your career or uh, not not really having the right gravitas, I think the language is used once with me. And now I look back on that and I think it's because there's a perception that if you are um, enthusiastic and committed to your role, there may not be an understanding that that's just a different style to what has been predominantly a very male-dominated leadership uh, arena. That is changing. It's interesting in dentistry that the balance is still quite predominantly male. And I've observe some interesting aspects of that I have to say but I think in the main people have been very welcoming uh, um, uh, of me as a CEO I'm very aware of making sure that future generations across the spectrum we have an inclusive approach to it that it's very much Mm -hmm. about supporting people to develop the right skills and attributes to be a leader because I believe there's leaders at every level by having worked with lots of people who've got lots of ideas. I want them to realise their ambition to be the best they can be. So one thing that's really, really important to me on this podcast is when guests come on, they are, you know, as honest as they can be without jeopardising their career. So could you share a real mistake that you have made and how that felt in the moment? Gosh, there's loads. <laughs> there's loads. Um, probably one of the things I learned quite early on, I worked in a project which was a, across the system, looking at how we could make big changes in healthcare. And I remember being so enthusiastic. I was great at research and I would look at the research and draw together all the evidence and then discuss it with the team about how we thought that that would improve patient care And we were really committed to this in terms of the NA&E setting. We could see that offering a slightly different model where we could provide the expertise uh, across a group working with mental health, people who are skilled in substance misuse and social care would offer a slightly different pathway for A&E to reduce some of the pressure on the A&E service. And I just jumped in with both feet to a meeting with the uh, consultants in A&E without doing any briefing beforehand with them about what we were trying to do. And I 
didn't have a very enjoyable time. (laughs) (laughs) I came out of it learning so much about, you know, make sure you don't fire bullets. Uh, You know, make sure you talk to people, make sure you prepare them, explore with them what might be the concerns that they might have. But for me, oh, my goodness me, I did feel so humiliated. There was no way that they were going to progress with this programme. And it was because of my delivery. And I felt very annoyed with myself because and I was so frustrated. I got so upset. My emotional response was very, you know, my response was very emotional. It wasn't logical, but it was emotional. That taught me a lot. I, you know, subsequently, I've still done things where I've been a little bit too fast off the hoof and I've had to sort of like retract but I've learned to listen really well and uh, I think from your mistakes you have your biggest steps forward um, but they are painful (laughs) there's no doubt they're painful so that took a lot longer to proceed and it get implemented as a result of my being a bit too bullish about presenting that Um, without bringing people with me. Could you share what is a really key piece of advice that supported you in your career? Yes, I I often say this is the one thing, there's many, there's there's so many and and for different environments I'd probably have a, a range but the one central tenant of all that I do is try and remember people's names and a little bit about them because the more personable you can be with people the more they believe that you are genuinely there to champion them and believe in them and it was a a chief exec that I worked with a long time ago that did that superbly absolutely superbly you know there was over 2,000 workforce and yet he seemed to have a little bit a skill for recalling both their name and just something about them that made them feel really valued and heard and that's the one thing I try very hard to do is to make sure I remember their first name absolutely disastrous um to remember the whole name but the first name and just something about their history their family their lives that just helps me to connect with them and ask them how things are to retain that 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 personal touch and I, I try really hard to do that it has been more difficult, I have to say, with through COVID because we onboarded over 150 people on the 1st of April. You know, we were literally a week into full lockdown, needing to set up urgent dental care services. And I'd got these 150 people new on camera rather than face to face. And then whenever I've met them since, we've been in masks and yeah. we've their eyes. So, of course, the moment I, I'm not haven't quite got the full face and the full stories of those people but I try really hard to do that and I think that's probably my one kernel of advice I'd give to anybody get to know your people because that reaps dividends and also creates great opportunities for them in terms of talent and succession planning. And then last question thinking about the next 18 months where is your where does your focus lie? Our focus is a, we, is really threefold. The first and foremost one is to make sure that we can restore our services to meet the needs of our patients. Because we've had to, we had to change the whole model of our service delivery in the first month to delivering urgent dental services for those in greatest need. That meant that some of our core patients were not quite 
been seen in the same way as we'd liked. Obviously, we couldn't open up dentistry for a few months to start that process anyway. And so when we were, we we, we had built up uh, what is referred to in healthcare as a backlog of people that needed to be seen. These are people that are um, on waiting lists that are referred into us, obviously, from our primary care colleagues, but also because we couldn't get them into have their general anaesthetic. And some of our patients need to be put to sleep to have their teeth treated because of their health need. They're so complex. We can't really spend time in the mouth um, to do what we need to do without them being asleep. So that has added an extra dimension of strain on the workforce. And they've done, we've been so well supported by secondary the hospital services where we can be. Some have been slightly less able to open the services back up to us. And that has been a source of deep frustration. So that is number one. Yeah. The number the second thing is to um, we are a specialist provider, so we have consultants and specialists in our team. We want to develop that further so we can offer great career pathways for people all the way from um, entry point as in in their um, support roles as reception and administrative management uh, right into the more complex dental roles that we can offer through dental nursing to dental dentist therapists, hygienists, etc. Because we believe that that whole career pathway is important and we're working with Health Education England on that. And the third one is that wider community engagement with our dental colleagues and also our integrated care systems to look at the fact that the major challenges we we knew were there before, but have got bigger through COVID of looking at how we can have dental health as part of everybody's responsibility and including individuals' responsibility, how we can get information out to people in a way that's really going to help them to help themselves now and into the future and uh, change really the landscape of our uh, oral health in this country through promoting community water fluoridation right the way through to direct intervention of of supervised toothbrushing. Thank you so much, Alison. I really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, we we are. Our head office is based in Sharnbrook, but we are we deliver services across the East Midlands and East Anglia. So um, it's a reasonably broad footprint. We have our website, Community Dental Services um, website, where people can connect with us. And there's a great information range of information on that that can help people. We work with local authorities. We work in prisons. We've got a mobile service and obviously we are expanding our reach with our um, social enterprise colleagues to help more people um, work with the homeless, work with um, those who have very challenging circumstances right now. Um, that's part of our ethos and our commitment is to have as big a reach as we can through some non-commissioned activity as well as our directly commissioned activity through the NHS. Thank you. Great to talk to you, Tara. Thank you so much. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review 
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. 